Welcome to Pacific Northwest Weirdness. I'm Jen. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Alicia. And Dini's here too. Hello. Woo! <laughs> yes, hopefully we're finding y'all well. It is y'all. Going y'all well. Y'all well. Y'all well. <laughs> it's gonna be Mother's Day on Sunday, so hopefully you guys Woo! are making sure you send some love to your mamas or aunts or grandmas or whoever is happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. <laughs> happy Mother's Day, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this week we have the beautiful, masterful what is happening, Alicia. <laughs> With a story of rainbows and kitty, I mean, murder. (laughs) My week. Hello. Never rainbows and kitty. No. uh, (laughs) If there's rainbows and kitties in the story, it's Lisa's done something wrong. wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Something is wrong. So I started writing this story, I don't know, maybe two, three weeks ago. And I thought it was going to be just a regular old, like, amount of story time that I normally go, <laughs> which is like, what, I don't know, how long am I in, like, 35, I'm 40 regular, minutes or whatever? Yours are usually story closer to one hour. Hours. Okay. Well, this one is double that time, so <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have to break uh, in the middle. It's gonna be a two-parter. Friends. And I didn't mean to. There was it was just weird and it was a lot of info and I didn't realize there was gonna be that much information, but there was. So <laughs> So here we are. It's two weeks of murder. So I hope everyone's up for that. Two weeks of murder. I hope you're up to that. Alright. <laughs> so picture this. Oh Lord. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> on a hot and very humid day in June oh, no. 1984 I was 6 almost 19 what? I was 84 five. Yeah. I 1984 was I was 10 <laughs> what? no I was you born sure in 76 then you weren't 10 <laughs> then you weren't in 84 you were 8 yeah <laughs> yeah that I was five years great. All right. And you two were nowhere to be seen. Not in existence. My parents had been married for two months. Aww. (laughs) Sweet. Uh, So we're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What? I don't know. Your your parents threw me off there. So we'll just. So now cue the rainbows and kitty cats. Kitty cats. Yeah, I wasn't ready for an anniversary, I guess. It, that threw me off. That oh, was, I'm so sorry. It's too nice for my stories to talk about wedding anniversaries and stuff. So well, That's all I got. All right, I wasn't alive okay. yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it. <laughs> so anyway, back to my story. <laughs> I oh, digressed Lord. really hard on that one. Uh, <clears throat> Valerie Hunt, 22. This young woman disappeared without a trace from a shopping center in Florida. I don't know if you guys caught on, but I was dropping a lot of Golden Girls in there because we're in Florida. No. Nope. Nobody noticed. Nope. I digress. <laughs> Picture this. None of you. None of you picked up on this. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Man. Nope. You guys are too young. Except you. I expected more from you. <laughs> Ten-year-old and 84. Oh, my gosh. So, Eddie. Anyhow. Um... There were no clues found, no witnesses ever came forward in this disappearance, and it took investigators about three months to finally find Valerie's skeletonized remains near a sinkhole in Wakula County. 
So what does this Florida death have to do with the Pacific Northwest? You may be asking because it is not my week to be doing out of today gallivanting. Yeah, but it's season three, guys. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're going to get to Pacific Northwesty, just not at the moment. We're not done with Florida yet. <laughs> but before we go back to the Pacific Northwest, we are going to go now to the state of Georgia. To what? a small yet proud town. This is why it's 26 pages, folks. Gallivanting. Gallivanting. Hardcore. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go to Georgia to this proud town of Thomasville. Now, Thomasville holds deep roots for the South. It's home to the famous Pebble Hill Plantation mm. um, and known as a winter resort for the South. Okay. All things I did not know about Thomasville, but there you go. If you're interested. Yeah. Uh, Thomasville was nicknamed Georgia's Rose City, um, showcasing over 1,500 blooms each spring. Is this how you're bringing it to the Pacific Northwest with roses? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just a touch, but no. I'll I'll get to the Pacific Northwest. Hold your horses, man. I'll get there. I'll get there. All right. So, Thomasville was also home to two best friends, Mick and Carr. That's a furniture store. Yeah. I don't know if it's from this Thomasville. Oh, Lord. Okay. We'll have to check that out later, Jen. (laughs) You're on it. (laughs) So anyway, there were two best friends, Megan Carr and Cherish DeSantis. The two girls were born just one day apart, and they were besties from the moment they met. Cherish and Megan both came from well-known, wealthy families in the area, Um, Megan's father was the owner and operator of a water well drilling company that had been in the family since the 1940s. But this family company was not like one of those small little family companies because they were like estimated profiting over $2 million a year back in 1990s. So they were doing pretty good. Um, Now, Cherish's dad was extremely well-known in the area, not only in Georgia, but internationally. Um, Pete had grown up in Thomasville as well, and he graduated from the same high school his daughter now went to. Um, Then he went to law school in Atlanta, Georgia, and he graduated, but he never ended up actually practicing law, but instead he went on to be a tobacco auctioneer. I didn't even (laughs) know that was a thing. But apparently it makes you a lot of money to auction off tobacco. So I don't know. Um, He also opened DeSantis Auction Company in 1981 Mm -hmm. and offered his auctioneer talents through his training company called Auctioneer Training Incorporated. Well, of course. (laughs) I mean, yeah. You must have training for it. To be an auctioneer. Yeah, you got to get trained. So um, uh, he had also been named auctioneer of the year multiple times in the tobacco industry. Um, and he did this job for over 30 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So he was dedicated in the tobacco auctioneering Dedicated trade. to that tobacco. He sure was. Um, he left his auctioneering behind him and he tried his hand at selling real estate in Georgia and Florida. And he did really great at that. And he really excelled at that as well. Um, Megan and Cherish were both members of the subdebs. And the Kappa Tri High Wise. What? I can't be a real thing. Oh, I'm going to tell you all about it, so don't you worry. (laughs) Us specific Northwesterners (laughs) don't understand this, but I've seen it in a few movies. 
What, debutante? Just, yeah, just this whole, like, before, like, before, um, sorority, like, college sororities, they have kind of, like, high school sorority kind of things and stuff. So, anyway, that's what we're going to get into in the moment. So, being from a middle-class family from San Francisco, as I am, I did not know any of this, so I had to do a little bit of research on it. Um... So here we go. The sub Deb is a young lady from high class society. Um, she can become a full fledged debutante anywhere between the age of 16 and 22. Um, once you're a debutante, life is full of upper crust minglings, fancy balls, and hopefully according by a well-to-do gentleman approved not only by the debutante's family, but also by polite society. <laughs> Okay. Out here in the Pacific Northwest, we don't care so much. Well, but if yeah. you are from Georgia, we are or Florida, in society. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, like I said, these girls were from money, and so of course they were part of this society. Um, the Tri High Y was actually part of the YMCA organization. And it's been around since 1850s. The YMCA was originally for men only, standing for Young Men Christian Association, mm-hmm. which I also did not know. So I was just, I was digging, digging deep into the <laughs> YMCA culture. But I thought of you the whole time. Why? I don't know. I felt like you would know this. <laughs> well, I knew and that then you YMCA stands for yeah. Young Men's Christian Association. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I don't know. Maybe. I just always think of the 70s song. The I don't song. Really think of where it comes from. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, so it started out just for men, but later they included high school groups for girls. And that's where the try highs came from. Um, it was something of a sorority for like high school age girls. And they did things in the community and like things could, could help their status in life this is the 90s yeah yeah i mean i'm guessing it probably still goes on i didn't really look into the whole debutante scene nowadays but oh yeah i think it's i would think it's alive and well in the south wow i know i know um it's like a whole new world jen (laughs) i'm not gonna lie um so here we go um so the year was 1992 and both of these girls were 16 years old and it was coming up on spring break and they were excited about their new driving freedoms. And one of them had a car and they were good to go for spring break. Um, Cherish had a longtime boyfriend named Alex Hunt, which by all accounts fit right in with Cherish and Megan and their friendship and their lifestyle. Um, so he hung out with the two girls like all the time. It was totally normal to see all three of them Were just hanging out together. I mean, I don't think it was anything official. I don't, th- I think that would go up against the whole like debutante thing, but, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they were. It's the 90s. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> so, um, the girls decided that for spring break, they were going to go down to Florida and as you do. Yeah, and get some sun and, you know, take the new car out. And so they invited some of their friends, but like one of them had to babysit and something happened to the other one. And so it was just the two of them. And they honestly, I felt like they could care less. They were just glad the two of them were going anyway. So off they went. Um, it was about a two hour trip to their favorite Florida hangout, 
which is called Bald Point, and it's a fairly secluded um, peninsula from like vacationers and tourists. They don't. It's hard to find, and you have to make sure that like you get just the right turnoff, or you're gonna miss it. Um, so this beach is an eight mile stretch on Alligator Point Peninsula on the Gulf of Mexico. And not only was it popular with teens, but it's also a great place to go bird watching, photography, and as well as the name applies, go and check out some alligators. Because that's what I want to do when I'm going to sunbathe, is check out (laughs) the local wildlife. (laughs) So uh, Thursday after school, the girls decided that they were going to have a sleepover because Friday was a teacher work day, but they didn't have to go to school. So they were going to start their spring break early and hit the beach. Um... Megan and Cheris planned on leaving early in the morning and it was an 80 mile drive. I realized at this moment that I must be the biggest helicopter mom because there's no way I would let my brand new 16 year old driver drive over the state line. Yeah. With her friend. (laughs) What was it different in the nineties? I don't know. I guess. I think it was different. Was it different? Was it that different? I think my mom was a little bit of a helicopter mom too though. So yeah. Nineties. Uh, <laughs> that's all you can say in the 90s um, I think you lost me at alligator point alligator point mm-hmm. the 8 mile stretch yeah it's just a name <laughs> I love it I don't want to see any gators no not while you're bathing yeah. Yeah. sunbathing is weird but you know uh, so they made it to the beach by noon on Friday and they took off with their beach bags and their battery operated boom box do you remember this Oh, the 90s. I feel like that was so long ago. Um, and they went towards the water. So they set up their towels, stripped down to their bikinis, and turned up their rock station they had found. And they were just jamming out and just having a good time. Um, about two hours later, an off-duty Georgia police officer caught a glimpse of the bathing beauties. And his wife and him, like, went way out around them to give them a little privacy. Um, but a little while later, when him and his wife walked past them again they noticed that they were in the same weird position and they were like there's you know there's no way they're still in this position like something's kind of going on so the guy was like babe stay here i got this so the police officer goes down checks it out and then he yells up to his wife that they need to go and call 911 because these two girls were dead what just like that just like that um alligators sorry (laughs) Vampire, the first culprit vampire was alligators. alligators. Yes. In Florida. Because their bodies are still there. <laughs> In Florida. Yes. yes. Yeah, because if it was alligators, the, the body would be gone. <gasps> Albino vampire alligators. I love it. So this is the position that the girls were found in. And this is why they gave them like a wide berth when they went around them in the first place. So one of the girls was lying on top of the other one. So when they were first walking by, you know, they were like, oh, sorry, my bad. We'll just walk out a little ways, right? Thruple, but they left the dude out. But they left the dude. Yeah. (laughs) That's what, I mean, that his loss. I'm just saying. I'm just going to put it out there. Um, So when they came back again and they noticed that this girl was in the same, like, awkward kind of on top of the other one position, it was like the same position. They were like, no, this is, this is a little shady at this point. Um, So... They called and about 3 p.m. Officer Warren Roddenberry first arrived on the scene and 
he had been an officer at Alligator Point since 1966, and they had never seen anything like this in this family-friendly area of Bald Point on Alligator Point. Um, Officer Roddenberry himself was originally from Thomasville. And so when they pulled the IDs of the girls, he, you know, that was really hard for him. Um, So the car keys and the boom box and all their cash and everything were still at the scene. Nothing had been touched or disrupted. Um, So they knew that it wasn't a robbery. The girls' bikinis were perfectly tied They didn't look like they had been pulled on or anything. So they also know that it wasn't sexually motivated. Megan's face had been covered in a blood-soaked towel and Cherish was lying on top of her with a gunshot to the head. What? Mm. So, other than the blood pooling around the girls' heads, nothing seemed out of place. Like, there wasn't a whole bunch of sand on the blankets. It didn't look like there had been a scuffle. It just looked like they were laying down and someone came up and shot them. Um, some more officers were called to canvas the area. And like I said earlier, this area of the beach was secluded from tourists, but locals and like families in the area knew all about this place. So there were people around. It yeah. just wasn't going to get trampled all over. So that's probably good for their crime scene. Um, There were also residents that had houses that were fairly close to where this part of the beach was. So police went out and canvassed the area. Um, About 1230 in the afternoon, regulars said that they thought they heard firecrackers. But that was it. They didn't hear any screaming or anything. And then another person said that they caught a glimpse of a blue car kind of hightailing it out of the parking lot for the beach. And this person said it looked like a blue Chevy Nova. Now, I'm going to show you these cars. Don't worry, because I love cars. And the blue Chevy Nova is a very long kind of mm-hmm. looking sedan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, by all accounts, was probably, I mean, this is 92, 92, 93. So it probably stood out like a sore thumb. And they got there at noon, right? And they got there about noon. Mm-hmm. And okay. the police were there by three. So and this happened 1230. About 1230, the firecrackers went off, right? Okay. okay, here we go. Cut up. We're caught up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> the sun was about to go down and a few of the officers started heading back towards the parking lot and they saw the girls Honda with the Georgia plates. The car itself looked fine, but there was a blue car parked behind it, like directly behind it, which caught the police's attention because the Honda could never have gotten out of their parking spot because there was a blue car sitting there. Right. So the police go up like around this car and there's a man sitting in the car. And the man said that he was just checking that he had everything for the day that he had just gotten back to his car and he just wanted to make sure he had everything. So the police asked what he was doing like out there by himself sitting in a parked car behind another car. You know, and the guy was like pointing at the camera in his lap. And he's like, I was taking pictures of nature. Like, I just want to make sure I had everything with me before I left. And the police were like, did you see any teenage girls while you were out there? And he's like, no, I'm not out here to take pictures of teenage girls dancing on the beach. I'm out here for wildlife. And the police are like, nobody said anything about teenage girls dancing on the beach. Like, what? Shady. What is happening here, sir, in the blue car? 
Um, so the guy like got this weird look on his face and the police are like, can we search your car? And he's like, well, before you do, I need to tell you that I have a gun in the car. Oh Lord. And the police are like, oh, righty, here we go. Bingo. We got our guy. Right. Um, so they search it and there's a gun in the glove box, just like he said, and they bring the guy in for an interview. So meanwhile, back in Thomasville, uh, Megan's mom's getting really worried. The girls swore that they were going to be back for dinner. She was holding dinner until Megan got back and they hadn't got back yet. Um, so she calls Cherish's house to see if they just showed up there, you know, and um, Cherish's family's like, no, we haven't seen the girls. Um, but her parents didn't seem quite as concerned. They were just like, oh, they probably just lost track of time. It's their first day of spring break, you know. Um, so... Megan's mom was like trying to calm herself. She's like, they're responsible. You know, I'm sure we'll hear from them soon. Um, But officer Roddenberry back in Florida was putting a task force together already. Like he was on top of these things. Um, He knew that he had to inform Thomasville Sheriff department and the Georgia Bureau of investigation. And so he sent calls to them and they, sent police officers out to both of the girls' homes um, to let their family know that they had been found down in Georgia. Mm. Um, Not only had they each lost a daughter, but the girls were so close that it was kind of like they both lost two daughters because they were always at each other's house. Um, And though these officers were a bearer of bad news, they also knew that they were there to collect any information that their family may have on people that may have known that the girls were going down there. Um, Megan's mom surely told the investigator that Megan was always over at Cherish's house and vice versa. Um, though the girls had lots of friends, they spent most of their time together. Even though Cherish had a boyfriend, they still spent like all their time together. Um, she also said that Alex, the boyfriend had been over at her house late the night before when the girls were having their sleepover to say goodbye to the girls and stuff, because he wasn't going to be able to go with them because he had to work. So police were interested in speaking with Alex because everyone that they heard about was a suspect and he was really close to the girls. Um, The medical examiner reported that both girls were shot two times in the head at close range with a 38 caliber and there were no other signs of injuries. Um, Remember that weird guy that said that he had a gun in his Mm -hmm. car? Yeah. Well, that gun was not a 38 caliber, so they let him know. Uh. (laughs) Um. The very next day, papers were printing articles about the double homicide, asking the public in Florida and Georgia for any help that they may have. Um, A woman who lived in Gator Point spoke out about living there. And though she had only lived there for a few weeks, she was saying, like, anyone who comes here without a man, a gun, or a dog is just stupid. Like, they're just waiting to be victimized. And... um, (laughs) There's a guy that I'll tell you about a little later who had been there way longer than her that took high offense to that comment, (laughs) Um, which I don't blame him. I mean, you've only been there two weeks. What do you know? Um, By the following Tuesday, police had scoured the dunes and all the shallow water for a murder weapon, uh, but they didn't find anything. A local station said that the weapon had been found, but deputies said that they definitely did not find any gun at the scene. Um, Some of the panhandle community thought the girls had surprised uh, drug smugglers because I guess that was a thing down there. Mm. Um, But they said, well, if they had surprised them, how was like all of their stuff set up and there was no scuffle or anything like that just didn't 
kind of fit the narrative that was going on with what they saw at the crime scene. Um, so that quickly dissipated the thought of that. Um, Clayton Taff was the owner of the Point Lounge, and he's the one that took high offense to this woman <laughs> coming into his town and saying that it was crappy because he owned this lounge that people went to and it was, you know, this kind of local, you know, meeting place. Um, he said that him and a couple of friends had been putting a deck out on the back of his lounge and they had, there had been like a lot of hammering and stuff. So they never heard anything. Um, back in Thomasville, police had a sit down with Cherish's boyfriend, Alex. Um, he was still in mourning, not only over his girlfriend, but his friend also had died. Um, but the officers showed this high school boy, like, no mercy. They just went at him ham. Um, they wanted to know why he was at Megan's so late the night before the murders. And he told them that he just wanted to spend some time with them. Um, he told them that he didn't own a gun anyway. And the officers were like, well, we didn't tell you, like, how they died. But it had already been through the paper, so they really couldn't hold that against him. So, um... The officers asked Alex for his alibi, and then he told them that he was working that whole day. And so they went to, you know, talk to his boss and everything. And he was like, yep, he was here the whole day. So that cleared him. Tune in next week for the riveting ending of this story. Because we're going to stop it right here. <laughs> wow. What a place to stop. Dun, dun, dun. I didn't leave you on the cliffhanger. Everybody's kidnapped or dead, and we have no idea why. But I didn't leave you on the cliffhanger. I did say that Alex Hunt got released from from custody. So there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> so make sure you tune in next week to get the second half of this riveting tale. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, <that's nice. laughs> what just happened?